Who wants to hear a great story? I mean, who wants to hear a great story, right? You need to feel good, right? You need a warm and fuzzy? All right, here we go. Well, I said last week I was going to stop talking about money, but I lied. I'm sorry. But this is a good story about money, and then I'll, I'll shift gears. It's really a good story. You're going to love this. You remember a couple weeks ago, I put out a challenge to you and to us. I told you that in order to kind of finish what we had set out to do several years ago on projects, remodel, upgrades, all that, and because we had a deficit last year, a pretty healthy deficit of about 40 grand, again, largely due to the roof, but because of that, I thought we might need about 50 to do the projects and 40 to cover the deficit. That's 100,000, right? 50 and 40 is 100,000. Rounding up. So with that, we did the math on the amounts. Let's look at that, guys. Can we throw that up there this morning? Yeah. So basically, I did this. You know, that could be one person at 100,000, two people at 50,000, four at 25, 10 at 10, 25 at four, 50 at two, 75 at 13, 33, 33, 33, 33, and two, infinity. All right. So that's all well and good, right? Thanks, Pastor. Appreciate that. But you don't really get it. This is really a tough season right now in today's economy. And you know what? I do get it. But here's what happened to me several months ago. I just felt impressed. It was just like I felt this strong impression, $100,000. I just need to throw that figure out. We just need to talk about that. Lord, we don't have $100,000. We're running in a deficit. The, the, the future fund growth is, is pretty much deleted, depleted. We don't have $100,000. I really just felt strongly. He said, just talk about $100,000. Put it out there. I was like, okay. So you need to hear this. God is into details. And God is into numbers. He's really, he's really into these things. A lot of times I think we think that God's way up there in the clouds and he doesn't care about details of life. He cares about the details of life and he cares about numbers. That's one of the reasons why I gave you your 40 because 40 is a very significant number in scripture. It's a number of testing. It's a number of life change. And so God is into details and he's into numbers. And also with that, when I gave you that challenge, I didn't feel like I could just throw that out there without sowing some seeds of faith myself. Not bragging, but literally at that point, I did have a $100 bill in my wallet, and I had a 50 in my wallet. It came from Lisa. It was her money, but we're one, so we gave it together. We'd been to Arizona, and we'd had some cash with us. He said, take that $100 bill out and give it. Okie dokie. Next week, I was like, crap. He wants me to give the 50. Okie dokie. So I followed. I did what I thought I should do. Now, God, again, is very specific about things. If you've read through the Old Testament, you know this. In the Levitical law, I mean, he was very detailed about how sacrifices should be made, right? He, he was very detailed with Moses about, about registering the clans and the groups for, for who are the soldiers that can go to war and take the land, the promised land that had been promised, right? God's into details. He's into numbers. So here's something how it gets real interesting. So as many of you know, Lisa and I enjoy going to Texas when we can, but we enjoy going most of all to Gateway Conference in Dallas, Fort Worth, South Lake area. And we try to do it as often as we can. And every time we do it, we do our best to find creative ways so that the church doesn't have to foot that bill. So, so in the past, we used to have budget lines for that. We don't have them anymore. So we just have to get real creative. And so, so God allowed us to go last year. He blessed us. He made a way where there was no way. You know how God does those things, right? 
And so we always love going because it's a worship and leadership conference. We always get refreshed. It just feels like the fresh wind of God just blows across us. And plus, I love to hear Pastor Robert Morris teach. If you haven't heard him teach, you need to look him up. So I want to tell you a little bit of his testimony because this ties into our testimony just a tad. He says this, three months ago, now three months after we, I'm sorry, three months after we planted Gateway Church was about 20 years ago. So three months after we planted Gateway, he said, I was having a quiet time. He said, I had forgotten about the scripture the Lord used to confirm the dream that he had given me seven years prior. He said, but then I come across 1 Samuel chapter 11, verse 8. And once again, I read about God numbering the men of Israel at 300,000 and the men of Judah at 30,000 because they were about to go in and take some more land. Saul was the king at that time, and they had to eliminate the enemy to get the land. He said, God said he spoke to his heart and said, I'm going to remind you of what I've called you to do in this church. I'm going to confirm these numbers to you again because God had given Pastor Robert Morris these numbers in a dream seven years earlier. All of a sudden, Robert remembered Trinity Fellowship had given Gateway 30000 to plant and start. So Pastor Robert's at a, at a luncheon with a friend, a guy that had started coming to the church, and the guy wanted to take him out to lunch, and so they're having lunch. And so through the course of the lunch, this man hands Pastor Robert a check. He sticks it in his pocket. They go on with lunch. He thanks him, gets up. They leave part ways. Pastor Robert gets in his car, opens up the check, and it's 300000 So we have 30000 and 300000 that were numbers that the Lord had shown Pastor Robert in order to start that church, and Trinity Fellowship had given them 30 to plant the church, and this guy said, I've got some, some resources. I just want to bless the church and hands over 300000 confirming the numbers that Pastor Robert had gotten from the Lord. You say, well, what does that have to do with us? We have that mustard seed faith thing. That's, that's a mustard seed on a fingertip. So I go back to what I said. God is into the details. He's into numbers. And I am no way trying to put myself on a level playing field with Pastor Robert. But here's what I do know. God had inspired me. I feel like he, he spoke to my heart and said, Throw out a hundred thousand, throw out the number. And that's like, that's like, that might as well be a million. It doesn't matter. When you don't have it, you don't have it, right? So I did. I felt like I needed to sow seeds of my own faith. Again, giving some of my own cash above and beyond so I could sow seeds into that. I thought it was even crazy to throw up those numbers of, of the different ways that we could possibly meet that 100,000, but I felt like that was a seed of faith as well. Listen to me carefully. The last couple of weeks, there have been two gifts given to this church to finish out and help support those projects. One was for 1,000, and the other one was for 10,000. 10,000, 100,000. 30,000, 300,000. I was pretty inspired by that. I was like, okay, go God. Yay, God. Hallelujah, God. God is into details. He's into numbers. He's especially into us having the faith 
the size of a mustard seed. And we think that can't do much. That can't contribute much. That can't support much. But if it is a sacrificial gift, it is, if it is the widow's might, if you will, God will bless it. Remember what I said, obedience, sacrificing to fulfill the obedience of the word, and he will bless, O-S-B. All that is a testimony of Jaira, amen? Provider, Jaira, he's our provider. I thought that was a pretty good story. I don't know about you. Kind of rocked my world. So we know Easter's right upon us, right? Four weeks away. And so, so it's a great time. Again, a couple weeks, we, we, we have the script in front of us. It's like, we don't ha- it's like Christmas. We don't have to go searching for what does the word say or what does the Bible say or what does he want us to say about the season or about the event. So we have a, an amazing text that shows us and it helps us have that, that encounter with God. And again, I know that the the murderous acts of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, that was put on the cross for the sin of the world, that that feels dark and ugly. But in the darkest hour of Jesus' life came our life. Because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we can have life. So what I was thinking was, I want to back up just a little bit. And so I was going through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all record the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I was going through Matthew, I was just kind of skimming through, and I was just kind of seeing, well, what happened just a little bit before that? What, what, was, what was even before Holy Week? What was going on in the life of Jesus and the disciples? So I skimmed through Matthew, and Matthew's gospel, if you're familiar, it starts with the genealogy, and then it goes into Jesus' birth and early events, and then John the Baptist is introduced, and then Jesus is in the wilderness, and then after he comes out of the wilderness, he does his first major preaching and teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, and then there's just these stories after stories of healing and deliverance through the ministry of Jesus. Chapter 10, he sends out the 12 apostles. And then from there, it just keeps going on about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. And that's when he introduces that, that whole mustard seed thing, you know. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's planted in a field. It's the smallest of all seeds. But he becomes the largest of all the garden plants. It grows into a tree and birds come and make nests in it. Those small though seemingly insignificant, can become substantially great. So then I come to chapter 16, and this is where I landed because it just, it just like felt like, okay, this is, this is a message for us. And prior to chapter 16, we have Jesus feeding the 4,000. Verse 1, chapter 16. If you have your phone or tablet or it'll be behind me. I know it's a little bit low, but that's all right. I'll move out of the way. When Jesus came, and I might be in your way, sorry. I guess I'm going to just stay in the middle. Stay where the X is, Randy. That's what they told you to do a long time ago. One day, the Pharisees and Sadducees came to test Jesus, demanding that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. Now, just get this picture because he's just done a miraculous thing in feeding 4,000 people with basically nothing. Something very small and insignificant. Bread, fish. He multiplies it. 
He said, you know the saying, red sky at night means fair weather tomorrow. Red sky at night, sailor's delight, right? Red sky in the morning means foul weather all day. Sailors take warning. Everybody heard that before? Okay, that was just me. You know how to interpret the weather signs in the sky, but you don't know how to interpret the signs of the time. Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign, but the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. Then Jesus laughed and walked away. You just got to love Jesus' personality, right? Kind, generous, patient, but walking away like you have no clue. Later, after they crossed the other side of the lake, the disciples discovered they had forgotten to bring any bread. Watch out, Jesus warned them. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They're thinking, oh, we forgot bread. And then he's like, beware of the yeast. Oh, my gosh, what have we done? Begin to argue about the bread. Hey, you were supposed to. I thought you were supposed to bring the bread. You were supposed to, Matthew. And Jesus said, no. No, the yeast is all about the deception of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Ah. I sometimes just sit in those things like, that's got to be like us. And we think we know. Then Jesus kind of reveals a little bit more. Oh, that's what you meant. Verse 13, we came to the region of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others Jeremiah, one, one of the other prophets maybe. He said, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you're blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You didn't learn this from any human being. Now I say to you, you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and on the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. And he sternly warned the disciples, don't tell anybody that I am the Messiah. Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? In other words, who am I or what am I to you? Very pointed, very direct. And it's kind of like you have to go into their minds and think with them. Doesn't he know that we already know who he is? I mean, after all, we've been traveling with him and ministering with him. Doesn't he know that we, we kind of know who he is? He's Jesus, right? You realize that you can be around somebody your whole life and not know who they really are? Hello. Do you realize you can be around someone for many years, maybe even your whole life, and not really know them? Do we wonder why sometimes divorces happen after several years and several kids and several houses bought because they really did not know each other? They just entered Caesarea Philippi, which was a Gentile region. Now, what's interesting is, is again, we, we kind of read through Scripture. And, again, if you read through Matthew and Mark, sometimes it feels like it's just boom, 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 boom. But there's time lapses here. 
Caesarea Philippi was about 25 miles away from Galilee, and they went from Galilee up to Caesarea Philippi, about 25 miles away. So there was a lot that would have happened in that time frame. But they headed that way, and, and Jesus, I'm sure, had an agenda. It doesn't specify, but I'm sure he's healing people. He's, he's, he's delivering people along the way. There's all kinds of stuff that maybe just didn't get recorded. But once they reached that area, the reason that that was significant or that is significant is because it was not a Jewish area. It was a Gentile area, which meant that the crowds would probably subside some and they could have some time to pull away and rest and relax. That's the setting. And so maybe, I don't know, it's not in Scripture, so we can't, we can't say that it was. But I just imagine that if they were on this journey, it may have taken a full day or maybe a day and a half. We don't know. Maybe they landed and they just built a fire and they were going to chill for a while. And Jesus just kind of wanted to hang out with his guys and talk to them and speak to them. Because this was obviously on his heart. Who do you say I am? And the reason it's on his heart, because he knows very soon that he's headed towards Jerusalem, which is his death sentence. Again, I don't know if this is how he did it. But sometimes I like to just imagine, maybe he did it this way. Who do you say I am? Andrew. Peter's brother, who, who do you say I am? James, son of Zebedee, who am I to you? John, James' brother, Philip, Bartholomew, who do you say I am? Who am I to you? Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, Judas, who's later going to betray him, Peter. Who do you say I am? And I also imagine now, many years later, I think he continues to do that with us. Who do you say I am? Who am I to you? Who do you say I am? Do you know me? Or have you just walked alongside and just gotten caught up in the crowd? Do you know who I am? I, I just imagine that weekly when we gather, that's part of what he wants to know. Do you really know who I am? One by one. And so again, I don't know if it, did, it happened this way, but, but possibly when he was going to Matthew and maybe James. Well, well, well I, you know, some, some say John the Baptist. I, we heard that. Some, some say Elijah and some say, say Jeremiah. And, and, and yeah, yeah. And basically what they were doing is they were parroting a lot of the conversations that they've heard from the crowds. That must be, that must be Elijah. That must be John the Baptist. Well, the crazy thing is that they forgot that John the Baptist and Jesus served at the same time, so he wouldn't have been John the Baptist. But you see what I'm saying? Getting caught up in the crowd, getting caught up in the emotion of the moment, they really are not trying to figure out who Jesus really is. They're just going along with who everybody says that Jesus is. 
And what happened and what happens is that we greatly underestimate who Jesus really is. Then he turns to Peter. You know, again, I I don't know that Peter was last in the circle, but in my mind, it kind of makes sense because of his response. Because as it says, they replied, the others replied, well, well, you know, John the Baptist and blah, 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 blah. But he comes to Peter. And we get these strong prophetic words. Who do you say that I am? Peter, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And it's as if from the time that Jesus had come along the Sea of Galilee and had pulled him out of fishing to bring him along and following him to fish for men, somewhere in that journey, somewhere along the pathway, somewhere along that time lapse, it was Peter was kind of connecting the dots. And maybe even in this circle of conversation, Peter's like going, no, no, no. You are Jesus, the son of God. (laughs) And because he's so impulsive and and, and very spontaneous and erratic at times, I just kind of imagine him just hopping up and just going, no, you are Jesus. The guys are going, yeah, we knew that already. (laughs) But he's like going, No, I am seeing him like I've never seen him before. The Father had revealed, and Peter's connecting the dots, and then all of a sudden he has this amazing prophetic moment of he's more than a teacher. He's more than a healer. He's more than a reformer. He is God. Have you ever had in your journey, in your following Jesus, a moment where there was this greater, deeper revelation of who he really is? Have you ever had that? Where it's like all of a sudden it just comes up off the page, or it comes up out of the song, or it comes up out of your moment with him, and you go, Wow. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, You are blessed. You're blessed. You didn't get this on your own. You didn't get this on your own. My Father has revealed this to you. Now, Peter, listen to me carefully. You are Peter, which means rock, but upon this rock. Now, there's a lot of scholarly debate about all of this and the rock and the Petra and the Petros and all that kind of stuff. Let me just tell you what I believe that I think Jesus was doing because Jesus is the rock. He is the foundation. He is the chief cornerstone. Jesus is everything. So in my opinion, when he was talking to Peter, he said, your name means rock, but upon this rock, I will build my church. And I will use people like you, little tiny rocks who get built together in relationship. We'll build a church together. But it's my church and I will build it. I 
I'll give you the keys to the kingdom. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. And here's what I think is the deeper understanding of this. And again, I think we need to get this. It's critical for for health of a church and health of the church. Jesus said, I will absolutely, without a doubt, categorically, will build. I'll put it together. I will do it. And it'll be my church. You'll be a part of it, but I will be the one who builds it in you. I will use you. I will pull you along in this. I will build my church. This is the first mention of church in the Bible. Acts chapter 2 hasn't even happened yet. Which is the birth of the early church. But Jesus is prophesying over Peter. And he's prophesying over everyone that has come since the life of Peter. And he's speaking and he's saying that your confession and your belief will be what I build the church on, my church. Now, there's really something interesting in this, and we're not going to finish this today. We're going to continue on next week. But do you know how messed up Peter was? Do you know enough about the life of Peter to know how messed up he was? I mean, here we have this this amazing, phenomenal, spiritual, God-ordained event in the life of an individual that is sometimes reckless, that is sometimes upside down, that is sometimes so unreliable and so unstable and so broken. Can anybody relate to that? So insecure, so whatever, fill in the blank. We got this guy that Jesus is prophesying and saying over you and people that will come behind you forever and ever for the next several thousand years, I'm going to build my church on people like that who don't have it together. You do get that, right? So sometimes when you look at this and you think about this and you think about your insignificant role or your insignificant sacrifice or your insignificant whatever, anybody who has a confession of faith that says, you are Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus says, I can use you, your willingness and your obedience to continue to build my church. I don't know why that got me this week, but I mean, it got me. And I'm like going, that's really good stuff. And this is before Peter starts really messing up. And it's before Jesus is taken to the cross and crucified. When it looks like it's all going to fall apart, he's speaking as if it's going to be. And it's not even there yet. Do you know how exciting that is for people of faith? To sit there and think, where in the world would that money come from? And then all of a sudden, it comes. Because people like you and people like me are believing, are sacrificing, are obeying the word of God and following as closely as we can, even though very imperfectly. And he's building his church. It's not about talent, folks. 
he could wipe all of us off the stage and off the platform and he'd still build his church. I need to hear an amen on that. That is so true. Those of us in leadership, sometimes we can get a little bit puffed up about our stuff and our abilities. I am humbled all the time by what God can do in spite of me, without me. Hurts my feelings sometimes, but hey, he's building his church, right? It's not about wealth. It's not about a resume. Do you believe who he says he is? Because he's asking us that question all the time. Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Who am I to you? Who do you say I am? on that I can build my church and hell itself cannot stand up against it now that that word is Hades and it literally means death you know the enemy comes to kill steal and destroy right but there's definitely been a death sentence placed upon the church in the recent years And I would even say ours has maybe risen to a pretty high level. But Jesus says, if I'm building it, ain't nothing can take it away from me. Sometimes we feel like we got to do something. You know what we have to do? We just simply have to obey. We just simply have to hear the word of the Lord. We, we have to obey the word of the Lord and sacrifice to fulfill that word. And then the blessing will come. He will do it. You know, over the years, I've been here 23 years, you know, pretty incredible. And I've seen a lot of people come and go. And as a pastor, you have no idea what that does to my heart. To see good people, great people leave and come and go. Some people definitely were supposed to. The Oryx in Malawi, if you're listening today, guys, we love you, but really wish you were here. But you're doing what God's told you to do. You, you were willing to obey the word of the Lord and sacrifice, and he's blessing. But, but good people who have left, and some who left, who I didn't think they should have left, and, and i be honest with you, still think there's some people out there that left who shouldn't have left. Because I think they left for the wrong reasons. But here's what I do know. You, right here, us listening right now, this moment, this hour, he's building his church on this. He's building his church on this, on you, and on your confession, and your belief, and your trust, and your obedience, and your sacrifice, and your giving. He's building his church on you and me. That's worth standing up and celebrating. Amen? That means stand up. Usually when I say those things, you guys are like, does he really mean it? What's he saying? Here's the interesting thing. (laughs) He 
closes out this amazing, wonderful time with his disciples. I mean, it just had to be like just this, this, I think it had to be a pretty holy moment. I really do. Because I think when Peter even, even like, maybe he stood up, maybe he didn't, maybe he got loud, maybe he didn't. I'm just anticipating, kind of thinking, I'm kind of like Peter, probably he did. He probably stood up and said something. But Peter did that often. But I'm just seeing, I'm just seeing this and feeling this energy and this, this passion and this excitement. It's just like, yeah, yeah. And Jesus closes this out and he sternly warns them to not say a word basically about this conversation. <laughs> Don't tell anybody that I'm the Messiah. What? We just heard. I mean, Peter's confession, that's awesome. I mean, we should go shout it to the mountaintops, right? Well, there's two things there, and this is something we really do need to catch. Number one, Jesus' time was not ready, and their time was not ready either. Because sometimes in our prematurity, our, our, our immaturity that's premature, sometimes we're so boisterous, and man, we just live in a, a worship setting, and we're all pumped up for Jesus, and we really don't even know who Jesus is. We, we've gone along with the crowd, and we have an understanding from the crowd's perspective, but to go out and to start really confessing and proclaiming that Jesus is Lord, guess what comes? Testing and fire. So if you're there, amen. Because if you really believe in this day and hour, in this culture, especially where we live now, if you really believe he is Jesus Christ, the Lord, you will be put to the test and the fire will come. But we do get some keys. We do get some keys. We've got some keys of authority. We can, we can do some things. So we'll come back next week and we'll take some keys and see what we can do. Amen. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for this time here this morning. I pray for the everyone that's listening to me to this, this morning. First of all, I pray if they do not know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, if they do not know you as Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, the coming one, that they would have an encounter with you even yet this morning, yet today, that they would wrestle that to the ground and finally, like Peter, get a revelation and understanding you are the Christ. I pray for every person listening online and here today that they would have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. They admit their need for Jesus, that they are a sinner, that without Christ they are destined for an eternity in hell. But because you gave your life for each and every one of us, yet while we were sinners, we have this free gift of salvation, eternal life presented to us and all we have to do is exchange our life for yours. Thank you for your word. Thank you for building your church here. Thank you that you are building your church here. I pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Go be the church, amen? All right, you're dismissed.